The following is a Journeywise Network production. I'm Shane. I'm Ronnie. Ronnie and I have been friends for 40 years on this journey, and so we want you to be a part of it. So grab your mason jar and come join us as we grow Journeywise together. Hey friends, we want to welcome you to Journeywise Podcast. I'm Shane Stanford. And I'm Ronnie Kent. And we are so glad that you have uh, joined us uh, once again. And uh, it has been a, a wonderful first season as we have spent time wanting you to get to know us. That's been, really been the topic. And I don't know of two better topics on the planet, uh, being able to get to know each other. Um, yeah, that, that was a bold statement, I know. Um, An erroneous statement. so unlike me to make such a bold statement. Yes, you know, <laughs> uh, but as we finish up this first season, Ronnie, it has been a very interesting year. I'm stealing your word from our previous conversation. Interesting year. Um, what when you think back on 2022, what is it that comes to mind for you? Well, all I did was retire after 41 years of practice, move into a 400 square foot apartment for one year with my wife while we were had just finished building one building and we're building another, our home that we moved into two months ago while two of my children were also building homes. But other than that, and I was learning a whole new way to do life from a very consistent 41 years of going into 25 or 30 rooms a day, taking care of people to trying to be creative and right and I'm telling you, it was a shock to the system. Well, I, I thought you were going to say that you did something significant. I mean, that seems like just everyday stuff, there, Ronnie. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you had a you had a career shift of after 41 years. I had a career shift after 32 years, and um, you know, I, I I too went through. I moved from the house that we basically raised our girls from second grade to all the way up to finishing high school. Um, and left the church that, you know, was the last 10, 11 years of my life and, and started this whole new ministry um, and then built a team. And I think that is, when I think about the things that we've done in 22, that probably occupied more time for me was building a team based on the things that we were uh, and believing that we wanted to do uh, in this new ministry called JourneyWise, which is uh, a ministry of the More West Center, uh, to throw out a little advertisement there. But, you know, we uh, last year I got the best advice from uh, Mr. Moore, um, and that was set your goal as what set the three things that you want to accomplish. Because he made the statement, he said, it's easy because you're going to go through change, you're going to go through chaos, you're going to go through all the emotions that you went through and your family went through and the change in y'all's lives. And he said, it's very easy to start feeling like you're trying to do everything or you're trying to go in places to do something that really doesn't deserve the amount of time that you're spending on it. And I found that to be so true uh, this year. And I would time and again, I would find myself, Ronnie, leaning into places that really I just shouldn't spend a lot of time. Uh, but boy, it it has been a, an interesting year. And again, I use the word interesting because in my ministry, if, if you really wanted to make the hair stand up on my neck, come up and say that, you know what, that I found you found something interesting because I felt I knew that that could go as much negative as it could go positive. 
And um, and the other word was concerned. If you ever came to me and said, I'm concerned, <laughs> I would want to run like a, like a cross-country runner and never come back. Um, but what do you think is it that that we fear innately about change and transition? And you and I have talked about our story. We have, we've had a lot of transition in our lives, a lot of things that have happened. What is it that, that causes that pushback, you know, immediately? Well, you know, a very practical thing when I used to talk to parents that were, or excuse me, of couples that were about to become new parents at the prenatal visit, uh, which I've done hundreds, I mean, or more. So I would say your greatest problem is your fear of the unknown and that you just don't know what's coming up. And you've heard all different kinds of stories about, about what's happened in people's lives. And so, you know, I think it's that loss of control, that sense of loss of control when change happens. You know, routines are great, but, you know, if you get into a, sometimes a, 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 a routine can be just, you know, a, a, what do they call it? A, a, a rut is just a grave with both ends knocked out. Uh, so, I mean, you know, root, change of routine is a very stimulating thing for every part of our wellness. And so instead of fearing it, I think you do have to lean into it as an opportunity for God to do something in your life that he's never done before. And that's exciting. Well, I, I've always wanted to be able to quote something from Formula One racing. And since I'm a huge fan of Formula One, um, I've, I've been watching this Netflix series about the, the seasons of Formula One. I didn't even know what Formula One was. I grew up in Mississippi. We don't have Formula One in Mississippi. We have two or three Formula so Six. We don't, yes, we have dirt tracks and, and some NASCAR, but that's it. But um, they they were saying that the greatest drivers in the history of Formula One are not the ones who go the fastest. It's the ones who take the curves the best because there's a lot of curves in yeah. Formula One. And those who are the best at it both in terms of the speed and strategy they use in it, those are the ones that you remember. The um, And you think to yourself, like Lewis Hamilton, who's probably the greatest driver in the history of Formula One. I'm sure I'll get some feed, uh, feedback on that from maybe those are Formula One folks. But I, the thing about Ronnie, about taking the curve is everyone, first of all, has curves. There's There's a lot of curves in life. It's how you come out of the curve, I think, that matters most. Um, when I think of New Orleans, uh, I, I grew up you know, not far from New Orleans, but boy, we had a meeting in New Orleans this year where I thought we have really messed this up. I have no idea which direction we're going with this new ministry. And it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to us uh, because it caused some real uh, self-reflection and reflection about the ministry, and we came out of it better. But the key to that chaos in New Orleans was truth-telling. Um, and I think that's the thing that's been the hardest for me in this in the first season of the podcast is trying to be honest with people about issues in my own life that, you know, and we, we, uh, we left the situation. My youngest daughter came home from college and we went Christmas shopping a couple of days ago. And there's a gentleman that's uh, on the podcast, who are that who who listens to the podcast? His wife listens to the podcast, and he's been going through some medical things. And so I just right there in the store, his store, asked him about all these medical things he's been going through, and he got very. I could tell he was just not comfortable talking about all of it there in front of me and everybody else in the store. And so I went and got in the car, and I told my daughter, I said, I forget that people are not usually talking as much about their medical conditions as I do, you know, 
And she said, yes. That's called HIPAA. She said, <laughs> she said, Dad, we all, the Stanford's all got the gene, the gene of oversharing. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is, that's true. That is true. So there is a limit to, to how you conduct information and how you share. I understand that. But I think there's also should be a line where people are feel there's got to be someone or something in their life where they feel like they can talk about the turns and the twists and the, the curves of life. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, here again, it's all about the relationship. People get tired of me saying that, but it is. I think the, you know, people say, why, why doesn't God let me see far into the future? And we've talked about that too, so I can make plans. And I said, what's the fun about that? And what's the faith about that? I mean, you know, it's, it's come, you know, I was told a long time ago as I was learning to drive to slow down going into a curve, but accelerate coming out of a curve. Yeah, I was too. You know, if you slow down in a curve, you get, you, you lose control easier. So, so I think when we see God making a change in your life, be that a curve or a fork in the road so that you have to make a decision. Um, and, and, you know, I think that what it does is it causes us to look at those relationships again. What is God, what's best for God's kingdom to come in this situation? What's best for my family? What's best for the people around me? And then we get to what's best for me. And usually by the time I work through those first three, it's fairly obvious what the decision needs to be. So I think the curves not only are there for the faith, but also the fun of life. And if, I think it's the way to approach it. Well, I think we're we're coming. I mean, I think we're really digging into something that's pretty profound philosophically here. And you and I don't usually go there, but oh, oh that, that's but, scary. But I'm fixing to ask you a question. I think you'll see where I'm going. Um, hey, not profound. Just let's just stay with the simple. You know, the only way that uh, they, you know, the people who went to the moon could get home is they had to use the gravity of the moon to slingshot them back around. Um, there's a natural order to life. The reason you speed up going into a curve is because physics allows you to to harness that energy of the turn to create, and that speed creates a sense of um, using gravity to your own, to your benefit. And I do think that that there's natural order to things that if you think about it, you go, wow, the Lord really created a, a perfect system here for us to be able to handle difficulties and uncertainty. And he did it with our emotions too. You and I talk about this in the anxiety algorithm that, you know, our first responses oftentimes is we lean into our emotions. We lean into heart responses. Um, I will tell you that I never do well when I stay in the emotional response too long. Just, Nobody it, does. It, it just boils over. It's like a, a boiling pot. You can't control that heat. But boy, when I immediately go to fact, you and you and your granddaughter, Mary Brooke, love to say fact over um, uh, feeling. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking to say fiction. But, um, but fact over feeling, talk about that. Because I think that that is so important for what a lot of people are going to face as they go into a new year because they see it as a chance to set some things right. Well, and, and she struggled with a little anxiety early on. And, and so we would talk about what was causing it. Was it was it a fear or was it just anxiety? Fear is something that's real. Anxiety is something that you generate. And so, uh, like I tell people all the time, snake crawls in the room, I'm getting nervous. But if I can't go out in the parking lot because of I, I fear of snakes, that's anxiety. That's not appropriate. So, so I'm in the parking lot already. When you said snake, I'm in the parking <laughs> lot. I'm evacuating. So. 
so, you know, those opportunities that we, our feelings are there. It's a God response. I don't disagree with that. But he wants, that's to light us up. That's, it literally lights the brain up, you know, and we've talked about that previously. But it lights the brain up, gets us ready. But then we have to say, what's our next move? You know, a, a great book, Raising Emotionally Intelligent Children by John Gottman, talks about you should never say to a child, you shouldn't get upset. What you should say to a child is, what are you going to do now that you are upset? The second step, you can control. The first one, you can't. The second one, you can. Take, for instance, this is kind of a, it's a cool little story, but yesterday, my grandchildren, here being the time that we're doing this, getting close to Christmas, uh, they're coming to me in my shop saying, one of them came to me the other day and said, you know, I only have nine cents for my mom's present. Could you help me build something? It's so, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of my younger ones, Roman, who's about six and just a sweet, sweet boy, he, he came yesterday and said, could I build something for my mom? And I said, what do you want to build? And he said, a cross. Now, see, shoot, here I go. But I said, what kind of cross? And he drew me this picture that I just couldn't understand. So I pulled up pictures of crosses on, uh, on my phone and he said, I want to build that one. Well, it was a pretty easy one to build, but so anyway, to get through it, we made it out of a nice piece of cedar. It's a real pretty little thing, but I was, as I was sanding it, I, I was trying to do something I shouldn't have been doing. And I popped one of the wings of the cross off. It broke off and he was standing there by me and he looked at me like, Oh no. And I said, don't worry, we can fix it. Uh, and so we, <laughs> we glued it back together. And so I told him, I said, you know, the great thing about the cross that stands for Jesus and Jesus is all about fixing broken things. And so every time you look at this cross in the future, you remember that Jesus loves you broken or unbroken. And so I think those things that happen in our life that cause us to feel broken or to feel out of control is just another time for us to realize how much Jesus loves us. Yeah, that's I mean, that's beautiful, because I know that, you know, in a child's heart, you know, that reaction to emotion can be quick. But when you go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can do this. We can make this better. Um, I had a conversation with someone at a coffee shop the other day, Ronnie, that um, I could tell that this person um, was just by conversations they were having with their server and and so forth. I could tell that there was something going on in their own in their minds. And I had a, a wooden cross on at the time that I used to wear all the time. I'd gotten it from our mission in Ensenada, Mexico, and I'd put it on that day. And I can't remember what I was thinking when I did it. I, you don't have to be thinking anything, of course, to for the Lord to use whatever's there. And um, he looked over at me and I thought, you know, maybe he was going to introduce himself. But the first words out of his mouth, you know, I'm just there with my cup of Java. Um, he said, uh, do you why do you wear that symbol of hate and symbol of, of death around your around your neck? Ooh, that was a great question. <laughs> well, and my I mean, my first response was, is, oh, no, you didn't, uh, you know, uh, because I didn't know if this was where this was coming from. And as he talked, he kept talking. And as he talked more, he said, um, you know, he, he talked about it being uh, the crucifixion was probably the worst form of execution that the Romans could think of and that they could use. Why would you want to show that? And you could tell that he had no context of, of the faith and had grown up 
as, as he talked to me later about not having any background really in Christianity. And he'd always wondered why we would take, you know, what killed Jesus and use it. And I said, that you just nailed it right there because the thing that was used to kill him that he went to, um, you know, of his own volition, he transformed it. That's the nature of Christ's love, I told him, is to transform a symbol of hate into something that 2,000 years later, this guy from Memphis will wear around his neck and have a conversation with you about. And I said, and he wants to do the same for your life as he did for the cross, as he did for my heart. Um, and I said, so, but, and, and I know that at that point, that, that it was tugging on a lot of emotional strings. But the thing that I've learned and, and learned a lot of this from you was the next thing I did is I said, let me tell you a few things about him. Let me, let me give you a few facts about Jesus. And I really kind of appro approached it from an apologetic kind of strategy. And it was interesting by the end of the conversation, he was like, yeah, I really want to know more about this Jesus. I really like this guy. And I thought, Yes, you do. Yeah. You, do. you like him. Um, but I've thought about my own life, Ronnie, and you know the things that that um, I've not been able to fix, um, and how quickly I am to um, even with all the evidence that I have personally in my walk, the the evidence that I have that Jesus is walking with me. He's never left me. I am so quick to immediately have some emotional response and go, "Oh well, the the, the sky's falling." You know, and boy, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that that happened. I can't, why is God angry? Is he angry with me? And, you know, the Lord's up there going, man, you are such a narcissistic little creation. I mean, wow, I think it's all about you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, so you think about your grandson, what would you say to someone who's finishing up 22 and they've had all they can see are the places they need to fix? Uh, all, and, and that's what New Year's resolutions, I think, really draw on. How would you how would you guide them? Well, I, I don't think that, that it's wrong to start to look in the past year and say, what what could I do better? What could be better next year? I don't think. But to dwell, to live there is is wrong. Get a pencil and paper out and, and write down here again three if you. If you can do three, you'll be way ahead of the curve. Most people will never do one, but if you can do those three things and then, you know, look at what I believe moves you toward wellness, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at each one of those areas and, and you say, well, man, I didn't want to go into this kind of detail. Well, I think you need to. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Look, look at heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does this thing affect my heart, my emotions? How does it affect my spiritual walk how does it affect my mental condition and then how do, how can i how can my physical condition help this uh move me toward these goals or these changes these transitions coming out of the curve if you want to say that some people may even say these crosses huh. you know that i'm having to bear because you know it, jesus made pretty plain if you want to follow me you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow close behind me. And I think as you as you look at this, here again, don't do it by yourself. If there's something you want to change, find somebody else that might want to walk this journey with you, either as a counselor or as a fellow changer. Sure. You know, let's do this together. Let's hold each other accountable. And if it's something that really, let's say that in some bad scenarios, it's an addiction. You want to break an addiction to alcohol, to to pornography, to tobacco, to, you know, just 
any of those things. If you feel like you need some, if you've tried before and fail, 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 get yourself some help. And then the last thing I would say is nobody wants you to move toward wellness more than God does. Oh, and wow. so you, you draw on his strength and he likes to hear the words, I can't do this, God. And the last part of the beatitude, I mean, the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he's very plain to say, if you put this into practice by depending on me, it will, and because we know practice makes progress, but only Jesus makes perfect. Mm, wow. I mean, I, I, every time you say that phrase, I, I think to myself how many times I've tried to perfect situations that'll just never be perfected until we are face to face with him and on that heavenly shore. Um, you know, as I go into 23, there's a lot that, uh, you know, we're going to be hitting the ground on a lot of things we've been developing and planning. And so it's going to be a lot of work and I'm, but I, I'm excited about it. And I've asked myself the question, I, I've never shied away from having to work, but I don't think I've ever been as, as excited as I am about a lot of work. Um, what is that emotion? What would you say that emotion is? Well, you know, I, I don't know exactly why this came up in my mind, but you were talking about the struggles and the New Orleans thing. And, and, you know, one of my biggest struggles was trying to be creative and trying to write as I was trying to do my uh, servant school, you know, lessons. And somebody sat down with me and, and told me, and, and she said, I told her my struggle, and she said, she's a, a writer, and she said, are you, are you able to handle the truth? And I said, what does that mean? And she said, I said, yeah, absolutely. This is so important to me. I need to know what you think. She said, you're writing for yourself and not for your audience. Oh, wow. You're writing to be a good writer. You're not writing to try to help people on their journey. Wow. And she was, she nailed me. I mean, literally, and, and that was a cross. And, and so I think all of us, there's a phrase, death of a vision. And, you know, it, it, they found the secret is a, is a great little book of, of a lot of biographies of, of great Christians. Uh, I mean, great Christians. And every one of them came to a place in their life where they said, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I could do it, but I can't, God, I quit. And every one heard God say, great, now it's time we can get started doing what I, the way I want to do it. And you and I have seen this multiple times. I mean, People don't realize we had a lot of podcasts done that never have been seen because they were overwhelmingly bad. So, uh, uh, you know, talk so, about one of those but, change moments when we played them in front of the other team members and it was cricket, cricket. Nobody crickets, wanted, wanted, nobody wanted to say a word. It was horrible. So, but, but look what that did for us. And, and hopefully these are, you know, they, they're better. I mean, because the other one's bad. Hopefully, we were able to step away from Shane and Ronnie yeah. and really step into the people who are hopefully listening to this and getting some benefit from it and hopefully helping step into their lives instead of ours. Well, and if you're, if you're listening right now, the thing that I think you're going to have to do first of all, is you're going to have to move out of this emotional response at some point, because um, you know, it really is the, I'm going to just live up here on top of a piece of furniture when the snake crawls in the room. I'm not going, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to live up here and scream and cry. And we know how useless that is at first. Wow. It's wonderful. It gets you out of the way. It helps you to think I got to do something different, but then the doing of the difference, I think is the most important idea to action. That's a phrase that I used to use all the time in counseling is idea to action. And I do think that 
you know, that first beatitude uh, talking about blessed are the poor in spirit for they will um, uh, see the kingdom of God. The, the idea that you can't see what God's doing and working in your life when there's too much of you in the picture. Uh, the, he says poor when you're destitute in yourself, that's when God can fill you up. And the more you're filled up with him, the, the more you're able to see the kingdom plan uh, for your life. And I am a living testament to that. I'm a, I'm a witness to it for others, and I'm a testament in my own life. So anything else you want to share with our uh, with our first season listeners? Well, I, here again, the verse that just popped into my mind was the Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. You know, how significant that's been in my life since I've, I just think it's a tremendous blessing. And he talks about, may, may you, I can't do it without saying the whole verse, you know, the, that May you equip us with every good thing for doing in your will, and then may you work in us what is pleasing to you. So that what people have to understand is God does the equipping, but then he also does the working. Our job is availability. Our job is yes. Say yes and let God equip you and do stuff in you that really is more than you could ask or even imagine. And I think you and I have seen that just in this past year Yes. See, God do stuff that we really didn't have an idea that was going to happen. Well, someone asked me the other day, Ronnie, they said, what's the one, th and this was a, a very successful person here in Memphis and was part of my church. He said, what's the one thing you've learned? And I said, I've learned how truly unworthy and how incapable I am of where God has placed me. And I am so blessed and excited to be doing it. Um, you know, God is such a in spite of kind of God a lot of times. Um, and, uh, and I'm so thankful to be having these conversations with you. And I look forward to season two. And, uh, and if you're listening to us, uh, go to our uh, website at uh, journeywise.network. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to rate that five stars for the uh, Journeywise podcast and, and send us a, or write us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Ronnie, um, it's been a great first season. Oh man, what a ride! Is it? Yeah. And I'm so I'm with you. I am so looking forward to, you know, uh, I just I'm just looking forward to it with great anticipation. I really am. It's gonna be great. Thank you, Ronnie. Ah, right, love you. Love you. Thanks for listening to JourneyWise, a JourneyWise Network production. 